Hello and welcome to Humans in Extremes. My name is Heather Massey and in this podcast we'll be chatting to people who've worked and lived in extreme or challenging environments. Our guest today is Lindsay Cole. She has an amazing story involving many adventures both here in the UK and overseas. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? Hi, Heather. I'm good. Thank you. And you? Brilliant. Thank you. Now, now Lindsay, we um, we first met during your latest adventure. Um, can I ask you to just explain a bit about what you were doing and also how you came up with your idea? Yeah, sure. So I swam the Thames, the length of the Thames last November for a plastic awareness campaign. I, I wore a mermaid tail to show how we're, to highlight how we're choking our creatures with um, plastic. And um, during the 22-day swim, uh, random people unplanned appeared and asked if they could swim with me, so they joined me. And I was really uh, moved by it because it was unplanned. And uh, for morale, when you're in seven-degree water for six hours a day, it was really sweet and kind and motivating. And then I received messages from people all over Britain saying, oh, whenever you're in this area, come and join us. Um, So I I saw an event in Scotland, a cold water swimming event. So I decided to cycle there. And I joined swimming groups all across the country along the way. And a two-week journey, I was high on adrenaline um, for a fortnight. And I decided to carry on. So I did. And I spent six months going all the way up to... Shetland, the Hebrides, Orkney, went over to Ireland, Snowdonia, Peak Districts, and all, all the way down um, to the Isles of Scilly, where I was meant to finish, but then I carried on to where I started in Totnes and Devon. Wow, that's a, that's a really involved um, uh, adventure for something that should have lasted two weeks. I know, um, I know. <laughs> do you have any particular highlights from that uh, from, from your trip? Yeah, I think um, I've travelled a lot and I've I've moved around quite a lot. I haven't lived in one spot um, for more than 10 months in the last 10 years. So um, I really yearned a sense of community. And actually, even though whilst I was moving around so much for six months, swimming with people and cycling, um, I had more sense of community during that trip than I've ever had. So it made me realise that you don't necessarily need to be in one spot to to um, have a community. Um, if it's more about a passion or a hobby and you can tap into um, the, the community in the country and around the world, actually. It's quite, it's a very strong community, outdoor swimming. No, I, I, being a swimmer myself, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Now you, you kind of uh, you kind of mentioned that uh, you hadn't been in one spot for very long, um, so this isn't your first expedition uh, that you've done. And because uh, because uh, I know from speaking to you in the past, could I ask you just to to sort of tell us a bit about uh, a couple of the expeditions that you've already done? Yeah, so um, I've so I love stories and I'm I'm very curious and I did a journalist a journalism masters. Um, about 10 years ago actually and it, I graduated at the peak of the recession so there was no jobs going and all I could get was work experience and the um, uh, 
2010 World Cup was in South Africa. I'd just cycled the length of um, Britain and I'd gone to Rwanda to make a documentary for my university project. And I thought, well, there's no better work experience um, than being in the field myself. So I cycled to the World Cup and made little stories en route. And then that kind of broadened my horizons, really, making me realise that I could do whatever I um, dreamt of. So um, I roller skated to Bude in a nude suit because it rhymed. I ran to Manchester with a ukulele playing on the radio every other night and busking in the streets. And um, my favourite is um, I retraced a journey in Australia um, of three Aboriginal girls who had been forcibly removed from their home in 1931 to be assimilated into white society. And they escaped and walked all the way home um, following the rabbit proof fence. Um, and I'd, when I was backpacking in Australia, I came across the story and read the book. And then my dad passed away three months later. So whenever I was struggling, dealing with the grief, I always thought about what they had to endure and what they went through so um, they really helped me through a tough time so I always wanted to go back and pay homage to their journey and I did in 2017 and I, I didn't want to come home actually so I ended up circumnavigating the country with truck drivers and, and then I came home. <laughs> wow that's pretty epic so um can I ask you just to tell me a bit more about your uh, your walk uh, uh, around the rabbit-proof fence and about the conditions and the challenges that you had during your own trip and what, what you think it would have been like for the, 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 the girls that were actually did the original trip? Sure. Oh, it's one of the most wonderful, beautiful things I've ever done and probably ever will have done. Um, it was very remote. It was... Um, hundreds or thousands of miles the, the fence was originally erected to keep rabbits out of pastoral western australia so um it's some of these homesteads or farmers live 700 miles that their neighbor sorry is maybe 700 to a thousand miles away so they were dotted every so often along the fence but other than other than six homesteads i passed there, there really was nothing no civilization at all so it was lonely but i I really um, relished in that because I had the wildlife all to myself. Emus um, appeared and joined me for breakfast one time. I, I was having my coffee and my, at my little fire by my tent. And I had some rustling in the bushes and two emus were watching me. Um, and I came across wild camels and I had to help two camels that had got split up from their family and try and guide them through the fence where there was a hole likewise with some emus and the stars were just remarkable which I'd, you'd never I've never really appreciated before because we've often got overcast um, weather here in Britain or you're near a city where there's light pollution but when you're a thousand miles from civilization there's no light pollution it's always clear skies and I could spend six hours watching the stars move from one side of the sky to the other. So um, I, I quite enjoyed the loneliness or the solitude, but there were um, there were some tough points. The fence never really did its job. So in the 50s, the government introduced myxomatosis and it wiped out rabbits. So if a farmer didn't really need to use the fence, he could either pull it down 
or it got overgrown with wild bush. And so some on some occasions I got lost because I couldn't find the fence line. And you, if you spin around out in the outback in the, in the bush anyway, everything looks the same. So there were no landmarks for me to get back on my way and the sun was high in the sky. Um, but eventually I found my way. So it was it was a good test of character. But for the girls, it, it would have been easy in the sense that um, the fence was quite fresh and new, so it wouldn't be overgrown. But they had different challenges, like they were ch- being tracked by native trackers, um, police and search parties. If they did come across a homestead, um, the homestead might kindly give them some food, but then they'd re- report them to the authorities who would be back on their tail again. Um, so they were really trying to evade even their own tracks. They were um, had to try and put the local um, search parties off and go the wrong direction just to throw the scent. Um, and they they were doing it because they had to. They wanted to be back with their families, which was a thousand miles away. Um, I was doing it um, voluntarily um, for for a challenge, a personal challenge, and to pay homage to them. So they were quite different journeys. An absolutely fascinating story, both about the girls, but also about yourself. And you're talking about going through Australian bush, and you talk about the weather conditions there, but the, and the, the remoteness of the, the countryside. What were the particular challenges for you about the environment that you were in? Uh, what was it like from day to day? So I had a trolley to carry everything because um, everything came to about 40 kilos, which would be too heavy to put on my back. And I had I had to carry a lot of water which would be, um, I didn't know when the next place I'd be able to fill up was. So um, even though I did it in winter, Australian winter, um, the temperatures range between 17 and 21. Um, I, I didn't necessarily know when I'd next see water, so I had to carry a lot of it. So I had a trolley, which could be hard when I was going through a bush. And if, if the fence was overgrown, then I'd have to pull my trolley, which I called Trevor, after my dad, over tree trunks and shrubs and thorns, um, which was a nightmare. And sometimes um, the the sand was quite thick and dense and I had to go up dunes um, at one mile, less than one mile an hour because my feet were sinking and I had 40 kilos of weight I was pulling. Um, so they were pretty tough points, but... Um, uh, day to day, I had I'd set up my tent around four o'clock before the sun sunset. Had my little fire. I, I actually had more of a routine on this adventure than I've ever had in my life, which that's what I think I quite enjoyed as well because I kind of really fell fell into it. And then I'd make my dinner, go to watch the stars, watch watch the bush fire. Um, television is what they call it out there, and then go to bed, wake up, pack up. And get on my way and then I would be the only human f- f- for miles so all the wildlife that would see me would be as curious as of me as I was of them so it was, that was quite enchanting actually. Wow I, I'm absolutely fascinated by you by the story and also fascinated by some of your other challenges as well so do you have any other memorable moments from any of the other challenges that you've uh, that you've done so far? I think mermaiding the Thames was, was, was pretty cool because it was a bizarre idea that I came up with and I, I thought was possible. Um, but circumnavigating Australia with truck drivers 
was really beautiful because after I finished walking the fence, I ended up in an Aboriginal community where the girls lived and where they walked to, but there's no public transport to, to get me out. So I had to hitchhike. And then I met Daisy, who in 1931 walked the fence herself. Um, but again, there's no public transport, so I had to hitch with a truck. And um, he was really lovely and asked me where I was going and really moved by my story and wished me luck and asked me to say hello to Daisy. So when I met Daisy, um, which I was, which was just incredible and the absolute icing on the cake, because I never, when I got to Australia, I never knew I'd get to the start line. I didn't know it was possible. So every day I was surpassing my expectations. So after I met Daisy, I sat on the pavement and um, was in a state of euphoria and thought, oh, I can't. I can't um, fly back to Perth in an hour when it's only three months to hitch, I'm sorry, to walk. So I hitchhiked and I got lifts with um, these truck drivers and they're all really kind and gentlemanly and just interested in my story and why I was there. And it made me feel guilty for judging them. I always thought they were potty mouthed or chauvinistic or misogynistic or racist, but they're really kind. So I um, thought, I don't want to go home. I'll see if I can circumnavigate Australia like I wanted to do when I was traveling 10 years beforehand with a van. I never quite made it because my dad died, so I had to go home. Um, and I wanted to um, dispel people's misconceptions of, of truck drivers, that they are actually, you shouldn't really judge a character by their profession or what they do. Um, so it was really quite a heartwarming journey. I'm astounded by what you've achieved and what you've done. <laughs> it, you know, it really, it's really fascinating to me. Oh. Um, now you've completed your latest challenge then. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's next? Oh, golly, Heather. Well, <laughs> I actually find it quite easy being on the road because I don't spend money. I'm, I'm sort of carried by the support of the people that I meet. Um, and it's always new, so I'm invigorated or fueled by new sites, new scenes, new people. Um, so one of my biggest challenges is actually set, settling down or or um, trying to stay still. And I'm trying to write a book. I, I started writing a book about the rabbit proof fence a couple of years ago. And uh, it's just a lot of time on your own without meeting people, without moving. So I find it quite challenging. So that's what I'm trying to focus on now, trying to finish off um, um, that book and, uh, yeah, just progressing in life. <laughs> so, so really to, um, to just to, to sum up then, um, so what have you learned from, from your trips that, that, that you think other people might be interested in? Um, well, you don't. You know, they don't cost much money at all. They're as expensive as they want, as you want them to be. So I, I'm, I'm very good at budgeting, or I'm very good at not spending much. And so if you're not, because because I've had to be, if you're not working, then you can't have the money to spend. And um, I just like seeing. I'm very, like I said, I'm very curious. So if I have a thought that comes into my head and wonder if I can do it. I now know that it's achievable, but unless you give something a go, uh, you don't know if it's achievable or not. And with the rabbit-proof fence, 
for eight years I really wanted to do it and I, I kept putting it off and putting it off but every time I put it off it the thought of doing it didn't go away and it I know if I hadn't gone to Australia and given it a go it would still be niggling at me now and it's the best thing that I've ever done and I've, I've met so many wonderful people I met, met the heroines in, in the book that I, I read who ha- helped me through a difficult time which I don't think I could ever beat that in, in anything I'll achieve or do um so I just encourage anyone to just try there's no harm in, in failing it's just a shame or pride on what you think of yourself but um it's always worth giving something a go I think that's that's brilliant and um I'm asking everyone that I uh, the, that I'm going to interview have you got any particular tips that you've you've sort of taken on board or uh, that you've you've learnt uh, throughout your your travels uh yeah one I use quite a lot is social media actually I used to be quite embarrassed about some things that I wanted to do and um sort of squirrel away doing research but it, it, we've got a network that can touch hundreds of people or thousands of people that might know your answer or might have a place for you to sleep and the more places for you to sleep the longer your adventure can be so if ever for my swimming um around Britain journey I I just put it out there on on Facebook oh does anyone swim in this area or does anyone swim in Shetland and if someone didn't they might know someone who did um so it kind of connected my story which was really helpful and fun um and um i'd yeah i'd say take advantage of of social media and people have done things as well contact people that you've admired or journeys that have inspired you and research before you speak to them and just tap them up because it's a bit of an ego boost for them and also there's no better knowledge than someone who's done it themselves That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you can join us again for the next episode of Humans in Extremes. This episode was created, presented and produced by Dr Heather Massey with production assistance from Tom Langston. The music used in this episode was District 4 by Kevin MacLeod. All copyright information can be found in the show notes.